Welcome back to uh, week two of our Greater Love series here at Emmanuel. We started last week um, talking about what love is and how we understand it. If you missed it, then uh, you missed us playing a little bit of, uh, I don't know, Hank Williams and uh, Garth Brooks, and we even snuck in the Backstreet Boys last week. And so uh, that message will be online uh, this week. And so if you missed it, uh, I would encourage you to go back and watch it because it's a great foundational point, kind of gives uh, some, some layout for the next couple of weeks of what we're going to be doing and, and all that we're going to try to accomplish through uh, this series. And we, we looked at how God loves us and how he said basically love each other uh, as I have loved you. And that's a command that uh, doesn't really change just because it's hard, right? Because when we see people that are hard to love, and it's not like God looks at us and says, oh, it's okay, that one's hard, just forget about that one, we'll move on to the next one. It still means love everybody, love every person the way he loves us. And my challenge to you last week as we ended this, what if, what if the last few people that you uh, encountered that were really kind of hard to love, what if God loved you the way you loved them? And that kind of hopefully uh, stung a little bit and kind of brought us to a point of understanding that, man, that we got to really express this. We got to be good at expressing this. And, uh, and this week is Valentine's Day. So this is the perfect week for you to express this, right? Uh, as we think about this, I know it's, a, it's kind of a big day for us guys. This is a make it or break it. This is a don't blow it moment, right? And so we want to do as much as we can to express best the way we feel about each other, how we see each other. And last week we tried to do that through song. I don't know that we really hit the mark with that. Uh, And so this week I thought, what better way to express that than with the perfect Valentine's Day card, right? If you were like most men, that's the day of Valentine's. You go to Walmart and there's like the aisle is full of men who forgot and they're going in there trying to pick it up on their lunch hour or something and they're coming home going, yeah, I had this plan the whole time, right? And so what better way to to express our deep-seated emotion than with the perfect Valentine's Day card? So I've got some examples and so this is the best one I think that, uh, that come to our mind. I'm sorry that I roll my eyes at you pretty often, right? If you just need to give that to your husband right now, you can, right? This is the perfect uh, way to express this. The second one, I like you and naps. I think that's equal uh, in our world. Uh, we like both of you equally. Next one, thanks for loving me even though I don't shave my legs as often as you may like, right? <laughs> That's the real one, right? That just hit home with some of y'all, okay? Hopefully for the women, not for the men. Um, this one says, I would, put my hand, I would put my phone down to hold your hand. That's true love in a junior high, okay? And so if you would be willing to put your phone down to hold the other person's hand, this one is, I'm obsessed with you in a non-creepy way. Uh, maybe that's the best way you can express your love. Uh, this one, I think, is the best of all of them. You all right right? It's not like you're great. It's not that you're awful, but you're all right. Uh, and if you have to give that, those are the little sweethearts. Y'all remember a couple of years ago, we didn't have those available because the company didn't make them. Uh, they got bought out and that everybody kind of panicked because they didn't have the little sweetheart things. I think they're back out this year. Uh, but if you get one that says that, that's, that's just uh, whatever. This one, I don't know if you can read it or not. Uh, it's got Trump on the bottom. It says this, this is a very good, very fine Valentine's Day card. It's made from the finest paper. Really good very great paper, and it has the most beautiful hearts on it. These hearts are really something, the likes of which the world has never seen before. They really are the greatest, okay? So if you give this card to your spouse, and we're just going to go ahead and set up next Sunday at two o'clock in the afternoon, we'll do marriage counseling. Uh, It's fine. I'll I'll do a big group project. It'll be great. And this, I think, is my favorite of all of them is the last one. Marriage is like a deck of cards. In the beginning, all you need are two hearts and a diamond, and by the end, all you wish is that you had a club and a spade. (laughs) Happy Valentine's, right? 
Here's the problem. We can't ever really find the best one to express. I mean, how do you say I love you to your spouse? How do you say I love you to your maybe fiance or to the person that you're dating or if you're junior high, the flavor of the week? How do you say I love you appropriately to the people in your life? And this week, what I want to talk about is I want to talk about the most controversial love verse in scripture and I believe it's probably not going to be what you think it is but it's going to feel like this morning is geared toward married people it is but it's not because I believe that God desires his love for us to be best expressed through our love in marriage okay I believe that wholeheartedly but I don't think it's just limited to that I think sometimes we get that right sometimes we get that wrong we'll talk about that today but what we're talking about it in the context of marriage yes but it's really applicable to all different relationships so if you're dating or if you're engaged or if you're single or if you're uh, divorced or if you're just kind of living life I believe all these different relational definitions that we place out can still be uh learned and and really cultivated and grown through this passage of scripture that we're going to look at today because this passage of scripture really changed the whole dynamic of love it changed how love is expressed and changed how love is really communicated and I believe it still does I believe that it can really radically change the way we love each other and uh and honestly like you know we get this right uh, sometimes we get this wrong. Sometimes well, our goal is this morning is just to say we're trying to get it right as, mi- as much and as many times as we can. We watch this, um, this, this show on, on Netflix in our house. It's just kind of on repeat. And I was thinking about it. There was a quote in it we saw this morning or this, this week. And I, I was thinking about it. And I thought, you know, this is really the issue. Because what we do is we think that in, in relational love, we think it's always the other person's problem, right? And if we, if we had somebody, we get to a point sometimes where we feel like if we had somebody different or we had somebody new or we had somebody that would, that would change radically the dynamic of our relationship, but we don't really understand that most of the time we're the one bringing in the bad into relationships, that we carry them from one thing to the next. That's the reason why sometimes, uh, real life, sometimes our second marriage looks a whole lot like our first marriage, uh, and how sometimes our next relationship always looks like our previous relationship, because we bring in the same set of issues and the same set of baggage and the same set of st- junk into the next one. And this show was watching, and the character got on there and he said this, he said, it's like I used to tell my first wife, I do not apologize unless I think I'm wrong, and if you don't like it, you can leave. And I tell my, the same thing to my current wife, and I'll tell the same thing to my next wife too, right? Because that's how we feel. Like sometimes we just, this is how I'm going to do it, and if you don't like it, you can lump it, right? But that's not how I believe God defines the way we're supposed to love each other, especially in the context of marriage. Remember our theme verse from last week, John 15, 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Now, what's interesting and great about this is in this moment, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and they should have got up and left. They should have been so offended by him saying this statement because the only person allowed to give a command is God. And here's Jesus coming in going, listen, this command I'm giving you, I'm going to give you a command, and it's to love each other. 
And so when we think about how we are supposed to love our spouses or how we're supposed to love those who we are in relationship with, how does that really flesh itself out? How does that really get down to the nitty-gritty of our real-life issues? So let's get into this. Let's see how this goes. Go to, in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Many of you know this passage of Scripture. Many of you thought that that's where we're going anyway. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 is going to get us to the point where we're going we're to read this verse together, and it's going to kind of make sense to everything. Ephesians 5.22 says this. It's on the screen if you don't have it. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now listen. Many of you read this and you think, this is it, right? This is the reason why I can't get behind this whole Christian love thing because the thought of submitting to a man just crawls all over me. There's something inherently wrong about that idea, this idea of having to submit. Maybe you've been hurt by a man. Maybe it was your dad or your husband or a relationship that you had while you were in your 20s. Maybe something inside of you just pushes back against this statement with everything that you have and you think there's no way I can submit to them. Now here's what I want you to see. You may not know this. Maybe you do. Hopefully you do. Uh, We do not have in our possession the original documents of scripture, meaning that the letter to Ephesus, the church in Ephesus that Paul wrote and signed, we don't have that letter because think about it. This thing's a thousand, 2000 years old. It's got, it was written on probably parchment or papyrus, which is a, a, a material that just doesn't last. Okay. So what we do is because these are such important documents, we begin to copy them and we begin to make copies of copies and copies and copies and copies. And those things are called manuscripts. Okay. And so what we have now is just in the new Testament alone, we have over 5,000 manuscripts that date back all the way to the first century AD. And so that is a whole lot. Okay. Let's put that into perspective. The, the next one in line is Homer's Iliad. Y'all remember that? You had to read it in the eighth grade. Homer's Iliad, uh, which was written in the BCs. I don't remember what year it was. I think it's like 300 BC. It has, it has 400 manuscript copies. We have 5,000 of the New Testament. And so there's, there's very strict rules with the scribes back. Uh, even in that time, they had to, they had to count uh, letters and words and, and lines, and each page had to match up exactly, or they'd scrap it and start all over again. So what we have is we believe, and I believe, is, is uh, kind of verified proof that what we have in Scripture is what was originally recorded. That's why in 1946, the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. Y'all remember that? That's why that was such a big deal, because in the Dead Sea Scrolls, these things dated back to a 100 or to, to 400 B.C. And, and dated to about, the, the latest was about 100 A.D. These were first century writings. And guess what was in those? Scripture. There were copies of Scripture in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And we could look at it and go, listen, this was recorded in the, in the, in the 100s. Like, we've got this. And we, what we have still lines up to what it says today. So what all that means is when we go back to this original passage in Ephesians, the, the earliest manuscripts that we have, the ones that are dated back the furthest, closest to the original, in this verse does not have a verb in it. The word submit is not there. It says, and it would read a lot like this, wives to your husbands as to the Lord. 
And you go, that doesn't make any sense. A sentence structure has to have a verb in it. But this is common in Greek writing. What they would do is they would infer the verb from the previous sentence. So let's go back one sentence and see what that verb is and what it actually says. Ephesians 5.21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There it is. Do you see the word? There's our verb. But this time it's not specifically targeted to the wives It's to everybody. This is submit to one another. This is essentially mutual submission. And that word submit really means, I've got the the definition, it just means to arrange under, to subject oneself to, to submit to one's control, and here's my favorite, to yield to. And this is what Paul is instructing the Ephesian church to do. This is us yielding to each other. Why? Out of reverence for Christ. Paul's tying everything of this whole, what he's about to get into about husbands and wives. He's tying it all back together to our theme from last year, our theme from our last week, our verse from last week, is love each other as I have loved you. We submit to each other because Christ's love for us. Out of reverence for him, we are mutually submitting to one another. So, when we read this verse, this 522 verse, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands. This is just an extension of the mutual submission that he's already established in the verse before. He says, listen, you guys need to submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. Wives, that includes you to your husbands as to the Lord. Let's keep reading that. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now the church submits to Christ, so the wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now let's take this verse apart. And let's say about what it is and what it's not. This is where the cultural pushback happens, okay? So let's just dissect it and figure out what it actually is saying. Number one, this is a harder statement to the husbands than it is to the wives. Here's what he says. He establishes the husband as the leader of the home as the, quote-unquote, head of the family. The problem is that too often, men, we're not acting like the leaders that we're supposed to be. That we bumble and we stumble through life and and we, quote-unquote, want something that we're not expressing ourselves. We're, we're not setting the spiritual standard of our home. And we've, we put these expectations on members of our family that we're not necessarily expressing ourselves. Don't you dare want your kids to be in the Word and study the Bible if they don't see you in the Word studying your Bible. Don't you dare desire your kids to respect and treat your wife with respect if you don't love and respect and treat her with the respect that she deserves. You set the standard. And don't, don't ever get that mixed up because what we do is we have, in our culture, we have kind of leaned the opposite direction. We've allowed the wife to kind of rule the home and we've kind of let them do their thing. And we just kind of go along with whatever she says, right? But God firmly establishes in, word, in his word that we are the spiritual leaders of the family. And so don't you dare slough that responsibility onto your wife. That's not honoring and respecting her. That's being completely disobedient to what God's Word says. So, so how could we read this verse and go, oh, that's really hard for the wives, when it's really, really hard for the husbands? Because when you're, listen, listen, I'm just going to enlighten you. Men, when you lead like that, your wives want to follow you. 
when you are leading spiritually in your family, there's something that triggers inside your, your spouse that will just be like, oh my gosh, finally, we're going to do this and we're going to do it right. This verse is hard for men. The second thing that it says is, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands. How does the church submit to Christ? Willingly, right? We willingly submit because of his love for us. Nobody's making you live for Jesus, right? That's, that's not how God designed us. That's not how God formed us. Nobody's forcing you to love him and love others. If you do, then great. Then I believe wholeheartedly that you are living in the middle of what God wants for your life, what he's directed us to. And if you don't, listen, that's your choice. That's your decision. You're the one missing out on the blessing of obedience. You're the one that's doing what Romans 125 says, it's changing the truth of God for a lie, serving the created things rather than the creator. You're the one who says, I don't want to live like that. Then that's your choice to do that. Nobody's making you live for Jesus. That's you. So we as a church, what we do is we collectively gather and together and say, listen, we willingly choose to serve and to love Jesus. We are coming together saying we're not perfect people. We don't get this right every time. We're not the, the, the immaculate uh, example of what love looks like and sometimes not even what marital love looks like. But what we do is we come together and we say we are choosing to live for him. We are choosing to love other people as he has loved us. And we are choosing to love our spouses and we are choosing to love each other. That's a choice that we make. And we declaratively say, listen, we are coming to worship Jesus not only as our Savior, but as our Lord and Savior. That means he's the boss. I mean, he calls the shots. That means whatever he says is what we're going to do. We are choosing to live for him because we want to. We are willingly living and submitting to him. And Jesus says here, and Paul, through Paul, he says, listen, wives, as the church submits to Christ this willingly, you should submit to your husband willingly because of his love for us. Now, we read this. In our culture, everybody goes, right? It's just this like feeling of, mm, man, we don't like to talk about wives submit to your husbands. That's kind of, well, if we're going to read that, let's just skip over that verse and just keep going, right? But here's what happened. Remember who this is written to. This is written to the church in Ephesus in the first century A.D. This is, this is in the, probably in the mid-60s this was written. And when, when the women heard this verse, you know what they went? They went, well, yeah. What other option do we have? That's what we're supposed to do. That's what we have to do. Husband, wives submit to your husbands like is no duh, right? That's just kind of the culture that they grew up in. And, and it's just the way things were. Listen, the most controversial verse, love verse in Scripture is not Ephesians 5.22. It's Ephesians 5.25. Listen to what Paul writes next. Husbands... Love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blamelessly. When Paul wrote this, this changed everything. Husbands, love your wives. Remember, 
Wives in this culture were really, I mean, that's just what it was. They were second-class citizens. They, they were treated almost as if they were property. Women were always under the authority of a man, whether it was their husband or their father or the, the oldest uh, male relative in the family. Any money that a woman earned automatically belonged to the husband. She could not claim any of it for her own. Men were required to pray certain amount of time, certain kind of prayers every day. Women were not required to do that. Women were not even allowed to study scripture. They weren't allowed to study it. One first century rabbi said this, rather should the word of the Torah be burned than entrusted to a woman, right? Because they were just so like, you cannot, you can't, they, you couldn't testify in court because nobody could believe what you said. And you could not even go into the inner court of the temple. You had to stay on the outer court of the temple. Listen, when, when Paul writes down, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, everybody went, what? what? Listen, I know the story of Christ, and it didn't end up very well for him. Like, he died for the church. And you're saying, I'm supposed to love this woman? Like, he loved the church, and Paul said, Yes, that's what real submission looks like. Listen, church, when, when this was written down, this radically changed everything. That now, in the, in the first time of history, equality is drawn between the husband and the wife and how they should mutually submit to each other. And, and when he writes down, he says, present her without stain or wrinkle or blemish. I looked up those words. I looked up what those Greek words were and what those Greek words meant. You know what they mean? Without stain or wrinkle or blemish. That's what they mean. That's, that's like we're not trying to make it any complicated here. It's not, and I know that you're thinking like, so my wife's wrinkles are my, now my responsibility, right? But here's what he's doing. He's not talking about physical things. Think about something that's stained or wrinkled or blemished. What's, what's happened? It's, it's been disregarded. It's been ignored. It's not been taken care of. It's not had priority given to it. It's been wadded up and trampled on and thrown aside. Men, is this what you are spiritually and relationally and emotionally doing to your wives? Are you watching out for their spiritual health? Are you, are you protecting them emotionally? Are you providing a safe environment relationally for them? And to be honest, we men see this as kind of like this defensive stance that we have to take against an outside attack, right? We're, we're protecting our wives from an outside force. We're standing guard for them. But most times, I believe most times, those wrinkles and blemishes are not coming from anybody other than us. We're the ones who are doing that. Look what that descriptor in verse 27, the last one says, but present her holy and blameless. That the, the better word for blameless is blemishless. It ties right into without blemish early. He says, present her holy and blemishless. That word holy is the Greek word hagias, and it just means this. It means the most holy thing. We are to love our wives. And spiritually protect them like they are the most holy thing 
to us. Obviously, this excludes our relationship with Jesus, right? Jesus is the very first relationship that we treat as the most holy. Then outside of that is our wives. And I've got this graphic on the screen because this is something I've used for years. If you've gone through any, if I've married you um, over the course of the 14 years that we've been here, uh, then you've heard me or you've seen me draw this on a little yellow sheet of paper because I use this in every pre-marriage counseling thing that I do. This is the way that God has designed the, the marriage relationship to work. That husband and wife are on the bottom parts of the triangle, God's at the top. And the closer that we get to God, the closer that we get to our spouse. Do you see how that works? That's the way it's designed from the very, very beginning. He says, listen, this is, uh, this is a holy, the most holy thing. This is hard. This in, in first century is groundbreaking. For us now, we read this and we go, yes, we're supposed to love each other. Yes, we understand that. We think that the submissive verse is the hot button verse, but it's not. It's husbands love your wives. That's, that's so radical in the life of this first century church. I, I put this picture in the in PowerPoint because it's true. This is my actual Bible. This is my Bible that I have right here. I just, I just put a picture of it on screen. I've had this thing since I was about 19 years old. Uh, so 20, I'm not going to say 20-something years, okay? We'll just say it like that. Uh, this thing's held together by duct tape. It's real fancy, but it looks like it blends in. And I've got notes upon notes upon notes in this. This is just the Bible I like, right? I've got like six of them in my office, but this is the one I preach out of every Sunday. This is the one I like. And I wrote this in my Bible when I was about 21, 22 years old. This is this passage of Scripture, Ephesians 5. And out beside the verse 23, 22 through 24, where the husband or wives submit to your husbands, I bracket it out and put, yeah, with an exclamation point. And then when it says, husbands love your wife, I bracket it out and put, dang, D-A-N-G, with an exclamation point. Why? Not because I didn't want to do it, but because I knew it was on me. I knew that responsibility was on me. This was long before Jess and I ever even started dating. Like I knew this was going to be hard, and I knew this was going to be my responsibility as a man. And listen, church, just because it's hard, doesn't change the responsibility. It's on us. I know what you're thinking. Like, Thanks, Pastor, right? Valentine's Day is already hard enough, and now you're going to throw all this at us guys on a, on a Sunday morning. But Paul breaks it down really, really great. And so let's just keep reading this passage of Scripture because how he, how he relates this, we all can kind of clue into and we all go, yeah, I can, I can do this. So verse 28, let's keep reading. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Well, that's interesting. That's a new perspective. This because we love ourselves, right? We love to get what we want. This cha- we change situations in our lives for our best. We work and strive at things that we want. We will even sacrifice our th- ourselves and our desires for something that we want really bad, right? We're good at this. Paul says, do all that. But do it for her. Do all that that you would do for yourself. Just do it for her. Her needs above yours. Her best above yours. Her dreams, her desires, her wishes, her well-being above yours. Because it's natural. Because you're loving her as though she is you. Everything that you do for yourself, do it for her. And what's great about this is that Paul throws one of the most deep and profound Old Testament statements in right behind this about marriage. And he admits, and he writes it and he admits, this is really hard and I don't understand this. And I love how Paul writes. Listen to this, verse 31. 
For this reason, this is, he's quoting Genesis. You guys, you guys will recognize this chapter too. For this reason, the man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So he says, this is a profound mystery. Like, I don't understand how this works, right? I love it. This is just honesty in Paul's writing. He's going, this is, this is deeper than what I even can even understand. Because if you remember when this is written in Genesis chapter 2, let's go back uh, and in our minds remember that. You don't have to turn to it because uh, I think it's Genesis 2.24. But this is... Uh, God has created all the heavens and the earth, right? We got all that in chapter 1. And then, in, and, and then he creates man in his image. And the image of God, he creates him, right? We got to reread that. And then uh, God creates all these animals and stuff before he creates man. And, and, and he gives man the responsibility to, to, to name all the animals, right? And so Adam uh, has this incredible um, feet in front of him that all the animals would pass in front of him and he would give them a name. And so I, I see that as just the way I see things. He started off very fancy and, you know, you had a hippopotamus. And then by the time it was all over, he was like, dog, ant, bug, right? Because he was just tired. So he names them all. And as he, the Bible says, when he gets through naming them all, it says, no suitable helper was found. And so Adam felt very, very alone in that moment. And so we know that Scripture says that, that God caused Adam to fall asleep. Uh, he, he pulls out a rib. Uh, he makes Eve. And then he has Adam wake up. And, and we read the passage of Scripture, and it says, Adam you know, woke, woke up from his sleep and sees Eve and says, Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, I will call her woman because she was taken for man. Right? And, and I believe we read that very somber. I'm very bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. But I think he said that really, really excited. I think he was like, bone of my bone, right? This is finally somebody's like me. Like he was so excited when he woke up and saw Eve. And then it says, I will call her woman because she has come from man. And then right behind that, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two of them become one flesh. That's where that verse falls. Because in that moment, in that very second, when Adam opens his eyes and he sees Eve for the very first time, he knew God created her just for me. We are made for each other. And for that reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And Paul writes this you know, 3,000 years later, and he says, this is a profound mystery I don't understand it. This is so big. This is so God-ordained. And this is what I think is so great about this is because when he sees us, those of us who are married, when he sees us, you know what he sees? Us. When he looks at me, you know what he sees? Us. When God looks at my wife, you know what he sees? He sees us. Because the two have become one. And he no longer just sees Matt Overall, Matt Overall by himself. He sees us. And for some of you, that's a big, deep breath. For some of you, that's a very scary thought. Because he sees you, he sees you both. I wrote down in my notes, men, this oneness is up to Christ. But what he sees in us is up to you. I'm going to say that again. This oneness is up to Christ. But what he sees in us is up to you because he established us as the leader. He established us as the one that's supposed to love our wives as Christ loved the church, who gave himself up for her willingly, right? Who did everything, who gave his whole life for the church. Paul wraps up this great and deep passage 
Now, trying to draw some context, right? Verse 32, he says this. This is a profound mystery, right? We started with that. We ended kind of with that while a second ago. So this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and he must respect, and the wife must respect her husband. Paul's saying, listen, I'm trying to talk about the church, an analogy of the church, and I put it as an analogy of marriage, but don't get it twisted. Everything I said about marriage is true, too. Okay, so he's, his bigger context here is he's trying to kind of relate the, the relationship of the church to Jesus, but he's doing that through the relationship and the, the analogy of a marriage. And he says, so, hey, listen, this is a profound mystery. This is bigger than me. I'm even writing this down going, I don't get it. But listen, don't get it messed up. Everything I said about marriages is very true. Husbands must love their wife as he loves themselves, and wives must respect her husband. So here's my last thought. And I think about these verses and think about how culturally we push back against one, but really that wasn't the one that was really groundbreaking. But most of them are all at us. I believe we've got some submission work to do, right? We've got some mutual submission to do in our lives. Our lives should be defined by submission. When Jess and I got married, uh, we thought it'd be really neat to have two pastors do our wedding. Um, our, our home church pastor, uh, and then my brother-in-law, who's also a pastor. And, um, and so we thought, well, we'll just we'll have both of them do a part in the ceremony. It'd be kind of neat. We'll have two guys up there. And we didn't really think that all the way through because that in turn mean, meant that we had to set through two sets of married, premarital counseling, right? We didn't, we didn't go all the way through that. We probably eliminated one of them and said, all right, we'll just do one. But we, set, we doubled down on the premarital counseling. And we, uh, I remember sitting through with uh, our home church pastor, Tom, and, and he was, uh, a matter of fact, when we were sitting in his office that day, uh, talking about premier, he got a phone call, and he went, oh, well, that's great. Well, that's, that's fantastic. Well, okay, I'll talk to you later. And he hung up, and he goes, I just found out I'm having another grandbaby. And I was like, that's it? That's all you did? Like, I'd be bouncing off the walls. He's like, oh, yeah, well, I got stuff to do. And so he dove right into us, and then it was like, oh, man. And I also remember with my brother-in-law, it was kind of awkward because he's my brother-in-law. And I'm like, shut up. I don't have to listen to you, right? But there's this moment that one of them said, and I don't remember who it was, and, and, and I didn't even ask Jessica before this, but, but one of them said this, and it really, man, it stuck with me since uh, that moment. He said this, if you constantly try to outgive her, and she constantly tries to outgive you, y'all be fine. That, that was the, the summation of their marriage counseling with us, their pre-marriage counseling with us. If, if you consistently and constantly try to outgive her and she consistently and constantly tries to outgive you, y'all be fine. And church, this is exactly what Paul wrote in Ephesians. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. When he said it, I thought, man, that's really smart. That's really profound. Then I did some study. And I'm like, he's not very smart. He just adapted scripture, right? Because that's all this is. Mutual submission to one another. Now, here's the greatest part, I think, of this passage is this verse 33 at the very end of it. It says, each one of you must love your wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. That word respect is the, it's the Greek word phobeo. I've got it on the screen. It says, it's, it's an interesting word because phobeo can mean a couple of different things. If you know anything about uh, the Greek language, I know very little. Let me just say that. I know very, very little about the Greek language. But I do know that there are certain words that can mean multiple different things. 
And then there are certain words that can mean multiple things that are complete opposites from each other. Well, this is one of those words. It can mean one thing or it can mean something completely and radically different. It's all in how you use it. And so the definition of phobeo is to terrify or to scare away or to venerate or treat with reverential obedience. It's completely two different opposite things. It's all in how you use it. Listen, this word is used 91 times in Scripture in the New Testament. 90 of the 91 times, it means to terrify or to scare away. (laughs) One time, it means to venerate or treat with reverential obedience. To venerate, think about Catholics. Catholics venerate saints. They, They hold them as holy and admonish them and all that kind of stuff. And so that's kind of a fancy word. One time, it means to treat with reverential obedience. And it's in this passage of Scripture. Isn't that great? When it says husbands or wives should respect her husbands, if you, if you just read it by itself and you don't really know the context, you may think it means scare your husbands away. But that's not what it means. It means to treat them with reverential obedience. Now listen, I think this is interesting because this is the polar dynamic of our love. That the way we love each other can either push people away or it can... Treat people with reverence and obedience. Isn't that great? You can either, you can either terrify or scare away, or you can, you can draw in and step into and, and love reverently and obediently. So my question as we close is this. How do you want your marriage and your relationships and your love defined? Do you want it to harm or do you want it to heal? Do you want it to hurt or do you want it to be holy. Church, this passage is hard, but it's true. And when we read this, men, I'm just it's on us. We set the standard. And so I believe this. I believe as we kind of transition into our invitation and TJ and the worship band can go ahead and come on up and and here's here's my here's my thought. My thought is this. What if We loved right. What if we, as the men in this room, took the lead in loving right? What if we, as women in this room, said, I'm going to respect, I'm going to revere, I'm going to be obedient, because that's that's how God calls me to. Because of his love for us, I will love like that. What if this year, this Valentine's week, radically change the concept of love in our families. And I know, I know we're good old boys in South Arkansas and we don't talk about stuff. I told my wife I loved her when I married her and if I ever changed my mind, I'd let her know. But that's not how God's called us to love. We love consistently every, and listen, I'm standing on the stage saying, I don't get this right all the time. I'm not the model Jesus is the model. And so when we stop looking at others as our example, when we stop using others to compare ourselves, well, I'm better than so-and-so, or I'm not as bad as so-and-so, stop doing that. Start looking at Jesus going, I'm not anywhere like what Jesus says to love. So what if we loved our spouses like that? If you're single or you're divorced or you're engaged or you're dating or whatever it is, listen, this can radically change the next step process in your life.
Why would you not start trying to get this right right now? So that when you show up on that day finally that you get married, or if you never get married, you finally show up on that day and you go, I've, I've tried to do this already, but now I really get to do this fully. I can't wait to submit to you. Be great. Save you a lot of heartache. Save you a lot of bad decisions. Save you a lot of, of messed up conversations if you begin to do this right now. So our invitation is this. It's real simple. We can't love each other unless we understand the love of God. We can't appropriately love our spouse or anybody else, really, unless we understand how much God loves us. So if you don't understand that, listen, today's the day. Let's figure this out. We're talking about love. This is Valentine's Week. What better day to figure out God's love for you? For those of us who here understand that and have an understanding of our salvation and our relationship with Jesus, then why would we not want to express that best? And, and it doesn't matter what kind of relationship you're in. Listen, it doesn't matter if you and your wife have been button heads for the last six months. It doesn't matter. You can start today. And you can say, you know what? The oneness is up to Christ. How he sees this is up to me. Let's start loving each other. Right? That means you have to offer forgiveness. That means you have to say you're sorry. That means you have to... to to, to really do some hard work on the back end of this. But it's worth it. Because God's love for us is best expressed in our love for our spouse. Why would we not want to be shining examples of that? If you want to join the church, man, this is your opportunity to do that. If you want to come and just pray, you're welcome to do that. If you just need to come and talk to Dustin or I, we'll be here. We don't have all the answers, but man, we can pray with you. And we can help walk through some of the things that you may be feeling. Don't miss this opportunity this morning to work some things out and to love well. Will you stand with me as I pray? TJ, come. Jesus, we love you, and we don't really adequately know how to say that. It seems shallow and empty when we just say that we love you, but God, it, it is really with all that we have. And God, this morning, there's some hard passages of Scripture. It's hard to preach. It's hard to, even harder to live. <laughs> God, in this room, we can all collectively say, yeah, this is what we want. This is how we should. But God, the real test of this is as we leave, are we really going to love and submit to one another the way that your word tells us that we should? Father, help us love well. God, help us move past those roadblocks we set up in our life and the walls that we've built. Help us to ask for and offer forgiveness and restore relationships. God, we ask that you do something incredible in the marriages in this room. By something that only happens from your hand and from our obedience. Let us mutually submit because that's how you love us. God, you just pour it out lavishly. Father, if there's somebody here this morning that needs to make decisions, needs to pray, God, I pray they had the boldness to come and do that. Father, as we sing, it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You guys. Hey, this is Matt Overall. I'm the pastor here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Just want to say thanks so much for watching our services, whether through our television ministry or our online ministry. We appreciate you so much being a part of Emmanuel Baptist Church, and we'd love to have you come and join our worship service. 
Sunday morning service starts at 10.30. Our small groups start at 9.30. And we'd love to have you be a part of it. We've got a lot of different ministries that happen at Emmanuel, from our children and youth that's focused on Wednesday nights to our uh, women's Bible studies that happen throughout the week. We'd love to have you be a part of everything that's going on here at Emmanuel. Thanks for watching.